Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well. And I want to thank you for joining me and joining my friend Jim Osmond, pastor of Kootenai Community Church. And he has joined me for the last couple of programs. We're talking about his new book entitled Prosperity of the Wicked, which is an exposition of Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, Asaph, the author of this particular psalm, almost stumbled, Jim, over the prosperity of the wicked. He saw the wicked. Uh, clearly wicked men, wicked women, and they were prospering. And he almost stumbled, by his own words, he almost stumbled, brought to the precipice of apostasy, as you said, looking down into the abyss of apostasy. But God preserved him, as he does, uh, for his people. And we talked about how it's not a sin to go through spiritual dry spells. It's not a sin to have times of doubt. That happens to all of us, right? At some point or another, if you haven't experienced it yet, you, you will. Uh, we all go through these times. So that in and of itself, it's not a sin, but but God preserved him. He didn't fully apostatize, mm-hmm. right? He, his steps came close to stumbling, but he did not stumble. God preserved him. Now, if he had apostatized, that would be a sign that he did not belong to God. Right. Yeah. Christians don't apostatize. They don't, they may stumble, but they don't they don't fall. Yeah, and you get some evidence of that, even the people who have, quote-unquote, left the faith. Right. You know, I was a Christian at one time, and I believed all these things, and I did this, and then they have questions, and eventually they just think, well, they, they walk away from it all and say, I, I don't believe that anymore, and they become an atheist or an agnostic or a, uh, some some other form of unbeliever. And uh, that is evidence that they didn't belong to God to begin with. They, they sh- saw something that they couldn't mesh with Scripture, or at least their understanding of Scripture. And yeah. then they just walked away. They tripped over it yeah. and fell flat on their face and, and then left the faith. Yeah. Uh, no no true believer will do that. God will preserve and keep his people. Yes. And this goes to a, a good point, an important point that I will time to time bring up with folks. That, that our motivation for being a Christian, our motivation for obeying God, is not so that we can have material rewards. I have been in an email exchange from time to time with this lady who is um, I think God has saved out of the prosperity gospel. She used to be in one of these churches, uh, but she's struggling financially. She's struggling in her health. She, life is tough for her. And, and at one point she called me on the phone. She said, Justin, what good does it do? What, you know, I'm, I'm trying to serve the Lord and yet I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I'm trying to serve the Lord and I, I can't find a job. And I look at all my friends that, that I have in this church, a large prosperity church in Shreveport, Louisiana. And they're, she says, they're driving around in fancy cars and they've got nice homes. And here I am trying to serve the Lord and I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. And so it's not an uncommon. No, that's what Asaph expressed when he said, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Yeah, I've been stricken all day long and smitten. And uh, chastened every morning, and uh, you, makes you kind of wonder, well, why do I do this if this is what I get for it? Right, right. But obedience is its own reward, whether or not we see any material benefits from it. Just being obedient, having 
having a clear conscience before mm-hmm. God, that is its own reward. Yeah, show me somebody. You take two people. One person who, who, when he obeys the Lord, he receives all of these blessings and graces and maybe material prosperity for his obedience. And so he finds it easy to walk in holiness because he gets all of these material blessings. And then another individual who who obeys the Lord and suffers for it, suffers affliction and persecution. And maybe like Paul is stoned and or shipwrecked. And I can tell you the motives for each one of those people's obedience. Right. Right. I, the man who is blessed when he obeys and things go really well with him when he obeys God. Well, I don't know whether he is obeying because of obedience sake or obeying because the blessings are there. Would that same individual be obedient to God if it meant affliction and suffering or loss? Right. Whereas somebody like the Apostle Paul who obeyed God and it cost him everything. For for righteousness of Christ's sake, he lost everything. Then that obedience there, and I know what heart that comes from, and that is evidence of the work of God there. An individual who obeys in spite of the affliction or even if it costs them, they're obedient. They keep their word and they obey God even if it means their own hurt. They're obeying because they love the Lord and because he is, is righteous and good. And uh, because they, uh, and not because God is going to bless them for that obedience necessarily, right? Yeah, and even even many of the righteous, as you said in your sermon this past Sunday, um, talked about Martin Lloyd Jones, often called the Doctor. He's um, one of the one of the most able expositors I say in the you know last hundred years or so. He's right up there mm-hmm. with the, some of the best and godly man, mm. and yet he died a a painful, a slow, painful death, right? And, um, you know, even me, when I was hearing you tell us, I, I knew that, but when I was, when I heard you talking about it, even, even I had these thoughts of, you know, why? I mean, <clears throat> this was, this was a faithful, you know, why couldn't he have just passed away in his sleep, you know, but, um, but, but then you read, like I mentioned Ian Murray's two volume work on Lloyd Jones's life and you read Ian Murray's account of how Lloyd Jones died and it makes you realize that the glory that he gave to God in the midst of his suffering. Right. And God had a purpose in that. And right. so even though he had to suffer that affliction, he was obedient through it. And God used it greatly as a testimony of his grace yeah. uh, to comfort, I think, probably thousands of people who have known and, and watched that unfold. Spurgeon said, uh, if this isn't a direct quote, it's very close. He said that the Lord makes, uh, the, the Lord makes his, the dying saint like the sun never seems so large as when it sets. Mm, and, yeah. Uh, so... Anyway, all right. Well, well, Jim, the f- the first half of this Psalm seventy three is um, I hate to say negative, but but Asaph had a, a a wrong perspective. He almost stumbled. He struggled over the prosperity of the wicked. But everything changes in verse seventeen. He was troubled. He pondered to understand this. It was troublesome in his sight. All of these things in vain have I obeyed. I mean, he was he was struggling, and and there's a clear change. In verse seventeen, everything hinges on verse seventeen. What, what happened in verse seventeen? In verse seventeen, Asaph says he went into the sanctuary of God. In fact, verse seventeen re- reads, "Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end." And the sanctuary of God, Asaph's language there could refer to um, the word "sanctuary." Just means like a sacred place or a holy place. It could refer to a place or a time of of meditation or a place in a time of prayer, a place in a time of study in scripture, or even a place in a time of worshiping with God's people. It's a it's a set apart or sacred place where he meets with God and he gained God's perspective. And I don't think it would be right to 
think of the word sanctuary there in the terms that we would use the term sanctuary today as in one main room in a building where we worship. Um, this was Asaph coming into the presence of God. I think that'd probably be the best and most general way of saying it. He came into the presence of God, and this is Asaph saying, I got God's perspective. I, I walked into the place where God is, and I sat down, as it were, and saw this from God's perspective. Then he says, I perceived their end, meaning the end of the wicked. Up to the verse 17, he, he is describing the wicked and the prosperity they enjoy entirely from the vantage point of, of human wisdom, human insight, human rationality and reason from an earthly perspective. He he sees their sin that they mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They wear pride like a necklace. They There are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. Uh, they're not in trouble. They're not plagued. All of these things that just looking at them outwardly is everything goes swimmingly with them. Everything goes well, and yet they are the most wicked people. And But for the righteous, they are, as he says in verse 13, or verse 14, stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And even the righteous seem to be to be wrung out and, and oppressed by these wicked people. The, the righteous suffer under the, the fist of these wicked individuals. And, and yet the righteous don't get any of that type of prosperity. And this caused him to almost stumble. And he says, I would have said it is vain to serve God. But he said, if I had, if I had said I would speak this, verse 15, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Then I pondered to understand this, and it was troublesome in my sight. In other words, using human reason and rationality to try and come up with an answer to this, it's troublesome. It, it, it was not going to alleviate the vexation. You, you can look at this perspective, this thing from two different perspectives. God's perspective from the sanctuary, how God sees it, what God is doing in it. Or you can look at it from the vantage point of human wisdom and rationality. And if you look at it from the vantage point of human wisdom and rationality, you're going to be vexed and upset by it. It's going to cause you to question God. It's going to cause you to wonder, have I kept myself pure in vain? Mm -hmm. So he needed to get God's perspective from God's vantage point, And so he walked into the sanctuary of God or came into the place where God met him. And then he says, I perceived their end. And then in verse 17, the whole psalm switches. Suddenly he has nothing more to say that is good about the prosperity that is enjoyed by the wicked. In the first half of the psalm, he's envying it. I was envious of the wicked. Right. I saw all of these things. They're, they're fat. Their eyes bulge with fatness. They live at ease. They die in ease. Everything is great about them. But then after he sees their end, the destruction of the wicked, he says nothing else positive about their prosperity or their situation. In fact, everything that he says about them from that point forward is all negative. It's all about their destruction. And everything that he says about the righteous is all positive. So up to that point, everything he says about the righteous was negative and the wicked positive. But then once he gets God's perspective, it's completely the opposite. Right. And after he comes into the sanctuary of God, then he says, then I perceived their end. I perceived the end of the wicked. It's like now he realizes that the prosperity of the wicked really in the grand scheme of things is just an illusion. Yes, there's physical prosperity in this life, but... It's just this life. This is short, and and they're going to go into eternity with nothing. Yeah. They're going to go into eternity not under the blessings of God, not under any common grace. That's all going to come to a screeching halt. They're going to go into eternal destruction. Yeah, right. Utter ruin. He says in verse eighteen, "Surely you, speaking of God, have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment! They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors." Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. So that is the true condition of the wicked. What, what Asaph, in the, Asaph in the first half of the psalm saw as God sort of exalting them to these highest places, 
now he realizes from God's vantage point, they're slippery places. Yes, they are high. They are above all the men, but it is a place where they are going to fall from that place. It, it is as if the higher up God has raised them, the harder it is that they're going to fall. In fact, my, my youngest daughter told me that that's way, what I should have titled this book was the harder they fall. In other words, the, huh. the, 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 how does that proverb go? The, the, the bigger they the are, bigger the, they are, the harder, the harder they fall. They fall. Right. Yeah. So I paraphrased that when I was preaching through this. I paraphrased that, that proverb and said, God has lifted them up. And the higher he lifts them up, the farther it is that they fall. The more, the more you have when it is all taken from you, the harder it is you feel that hit. Right. If all you have, if, if all of your lunch money that you have when the bully takes it from you is a buck to buy milk and a, and a half of peanut butter and jelly sandwich, then he takes a buck from you. You feel that. But if, if your mom and dad gave you $100 to go to Red Lobster for lunch with you and your friends and the bully takes that from you, when you lose it all, you feel the pain much more. And it, so it is with the wicked. Right. God has lavished these things upon them, but that is not for their good. God is not intending with those riches to bless them for their wickedness. God is intending that those wick, that those riches would serve to harden their hearts. He is preparing them for destruction. He is, it is like he is fattening up the the, the ox for slaughter, yep. with the wealth that he gives to the wicked. It's it's the great reversal. It is the rich, uh, the wicked on this earth. Many of them have everything that they could want. Many of the righteous have nothing. But after death, it's like Luke sixteen, right? The rich yep. man and Lazarus. Lazarus has everything, and the rich man has nothing. Right. On earth, the rich man had everything. Lazarus had nothing. Right. Could not, he was crippled, couldn't even move on his own, covered with sores. Uh, but but death is the great equalizer, right? And it yeah. doesn't matter how much money you have, who you know, who knows you, death's coming. Yeah. And it's not just the equalizer, it's the reversal. It's the reversal. For the wicked and the righteous, it's the reversal. Right. Eternity will be reversed. Just right. like eternity was completely reversed in Luke 16, uh, we see the same thing here in Psalm 73. Right. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. The the wicked have everything taken from them. And the more they have when they lose it, the greater is that sense of loss. The greater is that judgment. So their 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 blessings, their their prosperity is nothing more than slippery places. It, it's swiftly, so ISAF says, it is swiftly brought to an end. But yeah. sudden destruction robs them of everything. Takes right. everything from them. Right. And even if that sudden, even if that sudden destruction only comes about because they have, they have died in ease, the minute, the minute the hit the man, you know, the minute Hitler slips into, into eternity in the arms of his mistress, however peaceful that might be, or the minute the wicked man dies in his sleep with a stroke, however peaceful that might appear to us, it is not peaceful from his perspective because he loses everything he had accumulated, and now suddenly he faces the wrath of God. He is swept away in swift destruction. The psalm says. Right. And, and what good is it if you have everything on this earth? You know, you look at, I don't know, uh, Michael Jackson and all his millions or, you know, any of these celebrities, hundreds, often hundreds of millions of dollars. What good does it do you if you, it, it, what, what good does it do you if you, forf if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? Right. I mean, it, when you compare this short life to eternity, it's it's not a drop in the bucket. It's not a grain of sand on the seashore. It it's it's infinitely less than that. Yeah, and, and we have to understand. We have to realize what God is doing through that prosperity in the impenitent wicked. In that prosperity, they are hardened in or in their yeah in their prosperity. They are hardened in their sin. They are hardened in their wickedness and their impenitence, and they they do not see God. They are not brought to understand a need for God. They are blinded to their own peril. These things are judgments 
of God upon the wicked. So rather than viewing prosperity as the blessing of God upon the wicked, the prosperity was actually the judgment of God upon those very same wicked. Because that prosperity, it was as if the, and I use this illustration in the book, it was as if the executioner's axe is being raised above the head, the neck of the wicked individual. Mm -hmm. And the more prosperity they are given, and the more prosperity they acquire, the higher up that axe goes. And we are looking at it as the, the executioner is raising the axe. We are looking at it saying, why is God giving him a stay of execution? Why is God right. blessing him by removing the axe from his neck? And the only, what we don't realize is that that axe is being lifted up the higher and the higher so that it will come down and uh, swiftly destroy them. That is God's purpose in that prosperity. I, I can say without a, without a moment's hesitation or without a bit of doubt that we've used Benny, Benny Hinn as an example. We use Kenneth Copeland or uh, uh, who's the, the laughing clown? Uh, the Rodney guy, Howard Brown? No, the not, the not the guy that actually does the laughing, but the, the guy who thinks he's a clown. Uh, Jesse Duplantis. Oh, Je yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, the laughing clown. We can use these guys as examples of that. You, t you take a man like Kenneth Copeland or Jesse Duplantis. I can say without a moment's hesitation that the prosperity that they enjoy is intended by God to be a judgment upon those men. He is confirming them, or he is, he is confirming their impenitence. He is hardening their hearts through it. He is making them self-sufficient and independent and blinding their eyes to the truth through that. And because they have hardened their hearts and they have turned away, God is giving them a strong delusion. Those men are not going to believe the truth. They have it in front of them, but they cannot see it. And their prosperity is blinding them to that reality. It is the judgment of God upon yeah. the false teacher. Right. You know, why, why the, the, the judgment of God upon a false teacher, their wealth, is not because God is blessing them. It's because God is judging them. And we ought to look at their prosperity and see it from that perspective. This is the judgment of God. We, now, we might... There's part of us that says, boy, I wish I could be judged like that. I wish I could have all that stuff. Right. But, you know, God can give a, a righteous individual great wealth. And I know some very wealthy, righteous individuals. And when God gives that wealth to a righteous man, it is not a judgment upon him. It, it can be right. a blessing. The, the, it's God's intention in giving that blessing to the individual that determines whether it is God hardening them in their wickedness yeah. or God blessing yeah. them for the yeah. righteous. And, and the point of this, just like the point of Luke 16, it's not... Is not that wealth is inherently sinful, or the lack of it is inherently honorable. Right. Uh, the the rich man in Luke sixteen didn't die and go to hell because he's rich. Lazarus didn't die and go to heaven because he was poor. Each man went where he was spiritually prepared to go. Right. Right. And uh, so that that's part of that is part of coming into the sanctuary of God and, and understanding these things from from God's perspective. Uh, Asaph makes a, a beautiful statement, Jim, in verse twenty five. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. And sometimes I'll make the point to people. I'll, I'll say, what is, your, what is your view of heaven? What is it about heaven that you look forward to? Is it that you look forward to being, to walking on streets of gold? Do you look forward to having your supposed mansion that you're, you know, that people think you're going to have? Are you, are, you, are you looking forward to seeing grandma and grandpa and the pearly gates and all this? Because that's what most people think of when they think of, they think it's this big family reunion. On well, because the they've read gold. ninety minutes in heaven. Or because they've read ninety minutes in heaven. <laughs> yeah. But if you were to take all that away, and those things will be there. I mean, the 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 streets of gold, they'll be there, and the New Jerusalem, they'll they'll be there. But if you were to take all that away, if you were to take away the promise of having a glorified body with no multiple sclerosis, with no CP, with no muscular dystrophy, with no arthritis, and it was just Christ. 
just Christ, is he enough? Is he enough? And I think that's a pretty good barometer of of your maturity in the Lord. Is is he enough? And and this is I, I sense this in in Asaph's statement, verse twenty five. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. God must be our desire, His person. And notice how different that is from what He says at the beginning of the psalm. I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He 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 starts off the psalm desiring all of those things on this earth. The prosperity, the fatness, the provision, the ease of life, the ease in death, the freedom from toil and trouble and vexation, the ability just to live your life without a care or worry in the world, which he thought that was what the wicked enjoyed. That's what he wanted in the first half of the psalm. And then in the second half of the psalm, when he sees that that prosperity is not God's blessing, but it is God's judgment in the second half of the psalm, then what does he desire? It's not the prosperity and the ease of life and the fatness and the provision. I desire God. God is my true portion. He is the portion for my soul now and forever. Uh, that's what he came to really see as the most desirable thing. Not material in this world, but uh, God in, in this world and the next. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just God in, in, in this life and in the next that Asaph cherishes, but all the rest of the blessings that he lists at the end of that psalm. He says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. That, that's the end of the wicked that we talked about earlier. God is going to destroy all those who are unfaithful to him. But as for me, Asaph says, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So there he ends the psalm, verse 28, with, in a similar way with how he began the psalm. Uh, the, the psalm begins with, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, a declaration of the goodness of God. And then Asaph came to understand that at the end of the psalm that the nearness of God is his good. So how is it that God is good to his people? He is near them. He never leaves them or forsakes them. He is always with them. And that is how God is good to his people. It is not it is not material prosperity that is the goodness of God to his people, always. If that's the measure, then God has failed to be good to his people. But the nearness of God is my good, and that's what Asaph came to cherish. Not not so much the nearness of gold, but the nearness of my God. And right. if I could have God, I would give up all the gold. And that's the that's that's the vantage point. That's the perspective that only walking into the sanctuary of God can give you. You can't arrive at that place with human wisdom or human understanding or a human uh, a human approach to trying to solve these problems. It's something you can only gain. Um, from when God reveals this to you, helps you to see what is really going on. Right. An eternal perspective says God is near to me, and so that is my good. Not the gold, but my God. Right. Got to come into the sanctuary of God. And and he ends this, Jim, the very last verse in Psalm 73. He said, uh, As for me, the nearness of God is my good. As you were just talking about, I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. He ends almost uh, almost on an evangelistic note. Yeah, that we we testify of the goodness of God. This is how this is what we should declare. Yeah, right. Well, Jim, I've I've read your book. It's excellent. It's thorough. It's a good exegesis of Psalm seventy three. And uh, as you said, I I think the only one out there, the only book that is solely dedicated to Psalm seventy three, that's a, a doctrinally sound uh, exegesis of the text. Uh, yeah, from the right perspective. That is solely dedicated to Psalm seventy three. Yeah, solely dedicated to Psalm 73. So, again, dear friends, the title is Prosperity of the Wicked. And, Jim, uh, tell us, how again, how we can get the book. Uh, you can get the book at Amazon.com. It's in print and in Kindle. 
Uh, you can get all my books there, uh, Truth of Territory and Selling the Stairway to Heaven. And again, I just have to say, because I am plugging the book, that all the proceeds of the book go to the fund the building program at Kootenai Community Church. And, and that's true of books that they buy off of your website as well. Uh, right. Justin sells the books off of the website, and uh, some of the proceeds of that go to fund Justin Peters' ministry, which is more than a worthy cause. And uh, then Justin also uh, supports the building fund out of the proceeds of that as well. Yeah. No air-conditioned dog houses here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, thank you for joining me, brother. Thank you. Appreciate All it. Right. All right, dear friends, thank you for joining us. And until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.